This is the Bad Reputation Podcast. Subscribe to us on iTunes on your smartphone or tablet. Featuring the most up-to-date reputation management, social media, and entrepreneurial information on the web. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Todd Collins Official. And now, the host of Bad Reputation, the reputation rock star, Todd Collins. In three, two, one. All right, guys. Welcome back. Um, yesterday, we got to have a little bit of a discussion with Zach. Um, today, this, was, this one is somewhat interesting. So, Nicole's friend from, like, elementary, middle school, high school ends up being this amazing person that I didn't even know about. And Nicole screamed to me when I was in the office and she was like, my friend Dara should be on your podcast. And I was like, Dara, I was like, why does that sound familiar? And then I looked her up on Instagram and I realized who it was, Dara Brewstein. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> That's a great story. I have to go. I call her Nikki. I guess that was just like the high school version. <laughs> No, she's still Nikki. I just actually the first literal shout out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. She's still Nikki, right? To like pretty much everybody. But like um when her and I first got together, um, I would always call her Nicole and it would be like in situations where like I would want her to stop. And we both know Nicole like yeah. Yeah. is the, the chitter chatter. <laughs> and she would be talking and I would be like, Nicole. And so like that's it's like the scolding. Yeah. So now when I call her Nikki, she's like, why are you calling me Nikki? You never call me Nikki. So like now Nikki's like the bad and Nicole's yeah. like, if everything's good. Yeah. yeah. So, um, dude, you have an interesting life. Thank you. I like, think so. Yeah. I mean, I, I you know, cause I, whenever I talk, I always talk about like, at, at, like our seminars and stuff. I always talk about like, Hey, look, everybody has an interesting life, but like, dude, your life's like really interesting. <laughs> By design. But. Life by design. And that is the title, by the way, of this episode. It is Life by Design. Um, take me back to like kind of the beginning here, though. A little bit back more towards like the Nicole days or Nikki, or Nikki days. Like, how did it start? Like, what, you're not in Baltimore anymore. You're obviously in Arizona. That might be relationship-based or business-based, right? I'm in Atlanta, actually. Atlanta, Atlanta. I'm sorry. Yes, Atlanta. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why I was thinking Arizona. Um, but talk to me a little bit about you know, kind of like just, just the beginnings of Dara. Okay, great. So let's lay back in the therapy chair. No, I'm just kidding. So mm -hmm. <laughs> you're right. So I grew up originally in Philadelphia and then moved to Baltimore in fifth grade. And I met Nicole, Nikki, when I was in high school and we cheered together. I think I was on that same path that a lot of high schoolers and young people are where you're just going down the path that's already paved for you. So my parents told me that success looked like getting good grades and being on the honor roll and being captain of the cheerleading team and being in student government and going to a top 20 university. And so I just kept feeling like, well, success is seeming to work out like this and it feels really good to check those boxes and other people seem to be traversing this path. So I was very intentionally carving out that path for myself and did all those things, went off to Atlanta to go to Emory to study what I thought would be business and photography and ended up studying religion and Italian. And I started having these moments and these clues along the way that started to make me recognize that just because it's a well-worn path for other people didn't mean that it was necessarily the right thing for me. And so where that became super clear 
was after I graduated. And I graduated with these like seemingly useless degrees thinking like, okay, great. All my friends are going to be doctors, lawyers, and consultants making multiple six figures. And here I am thinking, what the hell am I going to do? I'm a white Jewish girl. Am I going to be the next Pope? And it like, it didn't make any sense. So I decided to do the one thing that everyone had always told me was the career advice, which was do the thing about which you are most passionate. And I thought, okay, well, 22-year-old Dara is really passionate about fashion. So I decided to start my career in that industry. And through the same way I think everything works in the world, where a door of someone you know opens a door to an opportunity, that's what happened. I worked at a boutique while I was in college. I went on a buying trip with the owner because we became friends and she appreciated me for more than just selling on the retail floor. And one of the guys who worked for one of the clothing brands remembered me and reached out to her and said, is Dara looking for a job? We remember her. We remember her chops. We want to give her an opportunity, which was great because I was terrified when I graduated feeling like my parents are cutting me off. I'm going to be homeless. Like I say that with like no hyperbole. That was like truly my fear and took this job. And fast forward 18 months later, I was miserable. I wasn't learning or growing. I was living in my car, going from point A to point B to point C to sell the clothes, having no real connection to the things that I said that I valued because all I was doing was just fulfilling the promises of the job. And they said to me, here's your million dollar sales goal. By three years from now, we need you to hit that. And 10 months later, I had achieved it. But at that point I was like, well, there's nowhere for me to go. That was the maximizing of this territory and I'm miserable and people are really catty and like moral of the story, it didn't look anything like what I thought the dream fashion job would look like. So when I started looking around, I realized, well, no one in this industry has a job that I really wanna have. So maybe that wasn't the advice that I should have taken. And then at the time, what felt like a curse was actually a blessing where I lost that job seven days before Christmas and three months after I bought my first house at age 23, because I had a restraining order against my landlord and, you know, things got hairy and I'm thinking, uh Oh, I have a mortgage. I have no direction. I suddenly have had this job ripped out from under me. What the heck am I going to do? And so fast forward again, over the next two years, I took several other roles in a plethora of industries, everything from being a personal assistant to someone where I would write online copy. I would rip drywall and carpeting out of her investment properties I did you name it for her because I felt like it was a really great learning experience to almost apprentice under different things that might interest me. Right. Got cut back on those hours because this was early recession days. Worked for a high-end home audio video company. Same thing. Company wasn't doing well. There I went. And a number of other things. So basically three years have passed since I've graduated. I feel like I've got this really illustrious degree and nothing is working out the way that people told me that it would. So at this point, I paused and I thought, if this is what everyone says is the secure route and the stable route, but and I'm giving my all and succeeding for all intents and purposes, yet I don't have a job over and over again, something isn't adding up. So that's when I stopped to pause to think, what do I truly want? What does success really mean for me? And what are some of the fables I need to rewrite for myself, like that working for other people is always the more stable and better path, instead of, I always knew I wanted to own a business, but I had been spoon-fed this concept of, you're just an inpatient millennial who can't wait her turn and needs to be patient and climb the ladder. When in fact, none of that was true. It was truly my like longing since I was a child. 
and I was deferring it because of other people's voices. So that is a long-winded answer to the narrative of how I got to the entrepreneurial journey 10 years ago. Not a, I mean, that's exactly what I wanted. And, and to be quite honest with you, I think a lot of us struggle, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm obviously older than you, but um, a lot of us struggle to figure out what we really want to do or, or who we are um, much later in life. Some of us much later in life. My, myself uh, wasn't even until I was in my 30s. I thought I was, uh, I thought I was one person in my, in my 20s. And quite honestly, I wasn't that person. I've, I've really just kind of recently within the last probably five years really figured out, oh yeah, this is exactly who I am. Someone who doesn't drink, someone who loves, and I've always loved to work, but really, really, really loves to work and, uh, stays, and stays focused on things that I like. Um, those, those types of things I think everybody can relate to. You know, so everything that you just touched on right there, I feel like pretty much every single person, especially right now, as we talk about school and college and, and you know, what our parents, what, what our parents want us to do as opposed to what would make us happy. Um, I think a lot of that is, is, is kind of coming um, to fruition now. And a lot of people are kind of waking up to it. You're finding a lot of younger people that are doing really awesome things and they're not sticking to the status quo of graduate from college, marry college or high school sweetheart get a 40 hour a week job, stay there for 30 years, retire. You know what I mean? Like that's kind of gone out the window now, which I'm excited about. So, I, you know, not a long answer, just the right answer. Yeah, in my opinion. You on that. One of the most touching moments I had, I sit on the university board for, like I sit on the board of my university and I was talking to a college student and she was asking me about my career path. And I told her these pieces and told her how now my businesses are in three very different industries and she was like, whoa, you're the first person who's ever let me understand that it's okay to have a nonlinear or unconventional path. And I was like, oh, not only am I going to let you know that I'm going to cheerlead and champion it right. as loudly as I possibly can, because I don't think we hear that enough, that it's okay to not take the job and work in it for 30 years. Not only is that okay, it's just not expected anymore. And it's okay to try something and know that no one's paying as much attention as you think that they are and not like it or not do well at it and then try something else or to be great at it and then also choose to do something else. Sure. Those are really freeing things that I hope that more people can hear. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of, I think what you're seeing now too, because we all have the availability to kind of tell our stories, not, not only in situations like this, like on podcasts and, and within our own social media. I mean, my story to your story is very similar. Um, I, I ran maybe more into a couple more, roadblocks from a standpoint of entrepreneurial fails. I had a lot more failure, failures probably than you, although we'll get into it if there was a failure, but I had a lot more fa failures and really the failures just came from that I was pushing. I, I wasn't, and we talked about patience, I was pushing too fast and I should have gone back and at, looking back now, obviously I should have been a little bit more um, non-impulsive I was very impulsive and I still am. Um, you know, that just comes with having ADHD. Impulsiveness is just part of the game. But um, the entrepreneurial side of it, I, I always say this to people, I wouldn't, I, would, I wouldn't be as good as I am right now if, if those things wouldn't have happened. Just totally. the bottom line. Yeah, I mean, it's cliche to say it like this, but everyone now understands that the lessons are in the failures, they're not in the successes. 100%. I'm a believer that it's not even a failure if you keep going. And so this idea, yeah. this concept of, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid of failing. It's, it's not the case because you don't fail if you don't stop. It's really just a pivot point. 
So you, so, you know, you, you woke up, you got woke AF. <laughs> I was told I probably shouldn't cuss with you and, I, and I'm not going, I, well, I don't know. I don't know. I, if you go back and listen to my, yeah, if you listen to my episodes, I'm, I'm cussing. Oh, I was going to say, I've been withholding my potty mouth thinking it didn't. Oh no, you can say fuck shit dick all you want here. It's totally okay. fine. It's no big deal. Don't have Tourette's like that, but them <laughs> as needed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so take me to the rest of the journey. So, you know, you're, you and then you're empowering these other women, which is really cool. And here's the other thing. There's a lot, there's a lot of women out there right now that are, <clears throat> in my opinion, and I'm, I'm a huge believer that women are, are better. When I say this, I don't want to offend anybody, but I want people to understand what I mean by this to me. And the predominant, my, our agency is built predominantly by women. I just want everyone to know that. To me, women are more trusting, they're more transparent, and they're harder workers than any of the guys that I've had work in our agency. That other than myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that being said, that being said, it's it's always been interesting to me now that you're also you're inspiring these other young women and guys. See, the guys might not say it as much, but you're also inspiring. You're you're not just an inspiring women inspiring women. You're inspiring guys too that maybe have a little bit of fear. Maybe they just yeah. tend to relate to you a little bit better, right? Well, it's interesting. I mean, I think you and I will probably talk about personal branding a bit and we're jumping ahead. I'll go back in a second to like how I got to this point now in the entrepreneurial path. But when I took the leap about 18 months ago to do this personal brand thing and go out and take what I had learned over the past decade plus of experience, of learning, of otherwise, and curate it for people so they could design their lives intentionally and define success for themselves, build businesses and careers to fund it and elevate it rather than consume it and squash it, and networks to support them and open the right doors to the success that they were seeking. I had so much resistance to that idea. I was like, who am I to do that? There's a million quote unquote yeah. influencers out there. There's all these thought leaders. They're saying a lot of the same things. But it's funny what you said about the man and woman piece, because I watched a lot of the leaders in this space, like Lewis House and Tim Ferriss and Marie Forleo on the other side, who are like a Gabby Bernstein, who are great, but their audiences are fairly polarized. It's fairly like the women on one side, the men on the other side. And I have an energy just as an individual that is equally masculine and feminine. And like, I have a twin brother and I've always grown up around guys. And it's very natural for me to be one of the guys. And so I felt like I had this voice that could almost bridge between both and also take in a space of personal development and entrepreneurial success, take lessons that are often either like Gary V, throw your hole into it, you know, chuck out any personal wellness, like it's all or nothing, like Gary V, Mark Cuban kind of style. Or on the other side, you've got the like really woo-woo, spiritual, esoteric stuff, like my good friend Deepak Chopra. And there wasn't really anything in the middle. And I was like, the true authentic me is male and female energy. And it is also spiritual and mundane, right. and like earthly and not. And I felt like to be able to present a message in that way, the thing that made it accessible for me to say, okay, I'm going to put myself out there as a brand was simply because I became an owner of that. And I said, you know what, if I am simply a vessel of a message that some people are going to hear better through me than they're going to hear through some of the other thought leaders or at a different moment in their journey or experience, and that's going to move the needle for them positively, then I'm here for it. And I'm willing to do what it takes to grow the following, to put my face out there in a way that initially felt uncomfortable and super egotistical. 
Yeah. And that's what people struggle with, with, um, and you know, we, we might as well just talk about personal branding cause that's really what it is. That's what people struggle with when they're, when they're talking about a personal brand. When I started mine, I was actually, I wasn't even thinking about doing it. I don't even really call it a personal brand anymore. I call it really, it's just a digital resume. Yeah. That's really what it is. Um, but uh, my business partner actually was like, dude, you should just, you, you say so much shit that you should just really just start documenting it. And I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know. And I wasn't nervous about, I wasn't nervous about people like seeing stuff or, or my opinions, believe it or not, I had PTSD from the situations that had occurred in my last business where I had made myself public. And a lot of the stuff that I made public was used against me. Um, and I didn't like that. And then, so that was a big fear. And then finally one day I was just like, you know what, man, screw it. I'm just going to do it. I'm, I'm just going to do it. And I just did. And I, and I can go back and remember LinkedIn was the first place that I started. I don't even know why, but it was. And I just remember putting like this massive rant on LinkedIn. I, so far, so much in fact that it got to the point where it was like, you've run out of characters you can't put anymore. And it got like a, a huge interaction. And then I started just building and building and building and building and Instagram. I, I, I just love that platform so much. I've connected with so many great people there that that's been my house, but I still put a lot of effort into LinkedIn and things of that nature. But anyway, getting back to the digital resume, a lot of, of, of what people say is really what you just said towards the end there is that they feel very egotistical. They feel like, Who's going to care? I, 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 who am I? Like, what, what am I? Man, everybody's got this little thing that they can add and people will start to follow. So um, I think where people can get skewed is if you're preaching or you're saying something, but you're not doing it and you're also documenting that you're not doing it, then you're a farce. So you know what I mean? So the stuff that I say, yeah, just like you said, I mean, the stuff that I say is what I put out. Right. And it, it puts an accountability on you. So if you're right. going to go out and say a bunch of shit and then you're actually not doing it, then people, like you said, are going to realize that you're a fraud. But that's exactly <laughs> the opposite of the intention of doing this. This has to be a real extension of the authentic you that is in service to others. What you find is when you do that, and I say this over and over again, you start to attract the exact type of person that you want in your life. Yep. It's when you are not being the person that you really truly are is when you start attracting people that you don't want in your life. And it's just like, you know, if you pretend to be one way online and you're trying to get clients, so let's look at it from a business standpoint and you're not really being yourself. What ends up happening is you attract clients, those 10% clients that you never wanted, that you can't stand, that you hate, right? Totally. I find that all the time. Now, when I switched it up and was like, look, I'm not getting, I'm not dressing in a suit when I come to a meeting and sit and, and sit down for any of our corporate, you know, and we have, we have big companies that we represent. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to clean up my language. I'm not going to, you know, I'm, my, I have a bunch of tattoos. It is what it is. Like all that stuff was way, like, I had this tattoo before it was uh, a sticker on the back of every soccer mom's Honda pilot. I mean, I've been doing this shit for way too long. At the end of the day, it, it just kind of worked in my favor because people started being more acceptive to that society, which I'm starting to find. But I guess with you, it's what I find pretty interesting is that like 
was there, there wasn't a long gap of your success. It was like kind of like that, right? Like you went through the years of like the struggle, but then did it just like flip a switch for you? Uh, it kind of did that for me. I worry to say yes to that because I don't want to ever give anyone the impression that like the path to success is an overnight thing. Cause I think we have too many false narratives around the unicorns, you know, that I was in my garage and three months later I had a billion dollar exit to Facebook and those obviously happen, but they're so close to mythical that sure. that's they're called unicorns. I call it this American idolization effect where, you know, you go from gigging to suddenly you're on the cover of everything and you're a platinum selling artist, but that's the version of success or of entrepreneurship or whatever. And I think that that's really a messy thing to tell people. And so for me, I think it's important to share that not only did I have the mess of working for other people, but when my twin brother and I started our company 10 years ago, which we still operate it's in the credit card processing industry, we didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. It's one of the most competitive and shady spaces that exists. And it took us about five years to really consistently have our heads above water financially to where at year two, we were like, oh, phew, we finally are in the black. Things are going well. But it was because we had one whale of a client who accounted for 80% of our revenue. Mm -hmm. And three months later, he canceled his contract out of the blue. And not only did he do that, but he questioned my personal integrity along the way, which I will fast forward eight years later, he came back to me and apologized. But in that moment, I was like, not only did you take away our entire revenue source, but you blamed it on something that was unbased and personally offensive to me. And in that moment, I've learned that one, you don't want a whale client like that. Like that is just stupid. And two, that you cannot base your entire identity and self-value and worth on the success of your business or your work which is entirely what I was doing at that point that I felt like, Oh, finally I am perceived as valuable. And I see that I have this success. And then it was gone like that in a way that I had no control over. And I then felt like, well, I also have no value because my company has no value, which is a shitty place to be. Mm -hmm. so the string of events happened after that, where we had two embezzlements, we had some really bad things happen where to a point, even my mom said, you guys should quit this business. And we were like, well, great. Now like the person whose acceptance you want the most is telling you to stop. Right. However, I knew in my heart that we needed to keep going and that we should keep pushing on. But so this was very much a roller coaster for us. There was never a hockey stick. It was just constantly pushing, pursuing, being persistent, being consistent. So I think that resilience, consistency, and persistence are three of the things that people don't talk about enough when it comes to being successful. People think it is like, you know, you kick back at a certain point and you don't have to do anything. Like, that's not true. And then along the way, I opened a second company a little over eight years ago called Network Under 40 and then subsequently Network Over 40, which didn't even happen because I intended it. I had a friend basically say, where can I go and not get hit on sold to or everyone be my parents' age? I was like, mm, don't know where that place exists, but I love to connect people. Let me help you. Thus was accidentally born a business. But even with that, there were plenty of pain points. You know, we expanded first to Baltimore because of my background there, then to DC, then to Nashville. But I expanded into a bunch of other cities where we totally flopped and it didn't work or the director there was a total wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And no one remembers that and that's okay. But there were all these moments of, again, the ups and downs of figuring out how to make that work and figuring out how to expand appropriately and like you said, not just be impulsive and burn myself out, which I also had done at many points. And then I'd say one of my biggest failures in my businesses was about six years ago when the recession, or I guess it was a little longer than that. It was about six years ago I published it. So about nine years ago when the recession was in full force, I had this realization that 
I had intentionally learned lessons about financial literacy that most of the planet had not learned and that I wanted to take it and regurgitate it into a children's book so that kids would learn about it early and get positive practices and habits in place before they were trying to correct bad ones as adults, which are much harder to change. And there was a lot of research and statistics that supported my doing it at that stage, and there was nothing that existed. So I went and did it. And in my mind, I thought, oh, this is going to be a baby Einstein of financial literacy, and it's going to be incredible. And I spent about two years banging my head against every possible wall and avenue and sold some books, but like never even close to what I dreamed it would be, and ended up making the decision to put it on the back burner and just kind of exist passively. But that was truly a failure. Like it really never became the thing that I felt it deserved to be or that it should be or could be. And that's okay. And one of the reasons, and it actually goes back and curtails with something you said earlier, which is about this like throwing yourself into something and almost white knuckling it and trying to force it to happen. Mm -hmm. I use this metaphor of a river that when I feel life taking me down a river and going with the current, that's when I know I'm on the right path. Like you said, when the right people are showing up, when the right opportunities are presenting themselves, when things are clicking, paired with hard work, then I know I'm in the right place. It's when I am swimming upstream and against the current and causing unnecessary resistance. If I'm paying attention, that's when I know I'm doing the wrong thing. And so that's what I recognized with that book series. I was like, oh, well, even though the intention is good and pure, the timing or something is off. And I need to just accept that rather than causing this unnecessary stress and resistance, which then created opportunity for other things to appear like the continued success of businesses one and two. And then this intuitive hit that I got 18 months ago that said, you have to teach all of these things to other people and put yourself out there in this way. You have something to share. And that's the funny thing about life is you have to be keen to say no to the right things so you can make space for the things that you should be saying yes to. Yeah, it's it's funny. There's a couple things that hit home on that one. Um, one is recently I started talking about was like, hey, I wanted to start doing this daily vlog. Like I just felt like it could be done or I could do it. I felt like I had the resources to do it, but I also wanted to do it in a way where even if I didn't have the resources that I could show people that it could be done. And it became um, very uh, time consuming. And what I mean by that is I have time to do a bunch of stuff that I do. Like I always want to, there's certain things I need to get done. I got to go to the gym every day. I got to make sure that my clients are taken care of. I got to make sure that um, I'm, I'm engaging with the people online that engage with me. I make sure of all that. But I was putting a lot of time into this to get it done right. And um, I just, today I was like, you know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't want to do this. And then I started like, oh my God, these people are like, be like, you gave up, you failed. Like, and I was like, I'm not giving it up. I'm just, I'm, I'm shifting gears just a teeny tiny little bit. And I'm going to go, I always do these podcasts, I do these podcasts left and right. Quite honestly, I was like, the people on the podcast are way more interesting to me. I was like, I'm just going to highlight them. And it's going to be an hour of that you get to watch. And one of my buddies, um, uh, uh, Hope, um, she does Be More Babes. She DM me and uh, she's pregnant right now. So she's probably, she could be a little bit moody. She DM me and she goes, no, Todd, that's growth. Cause I was like, it's more about, it needs to be more about them than it needs to be about me. And I was like, give her a little double tap heart. And I was like, yeah, I was like, thanks kid. I appreciate it. So yeah, I mean, it, 
that was me kind of forcing it down the river and going, no, no, this doesn't feel right. And if it didn't feel right, and I, I knew that people would be like, oh, he gave up. But I'm like, dude, I'm not going to be happy. I'm not going to do this. Like, I don't want to do it. Well, and it's all about you demonstrating and giving permission to other people to take those steps for themselves and make those choices in the same way. So by you saying, hey, this isn't aligned anymore. And even though I made this commitment, that commitment now has shifted and it's going to this. And that helps other people understand that they don't just have to hold on to stuff because they said that they would do it. Again, there's a difference between loyalty and following through and seeing something out. Sure. Realizing this isn't serving anyone and it harms no one for you to make that shift. Yeah, it absolutely doesn't. If anything, I was probably hurting everyone by, by taking them around with me all day long. It was, I mean, epically boring. Except for when the kids made appearances. Nobody wants to see me. They're all like, everybody's commented like, wait, Renner's so funny. Man, Reagan's hilarious inside Target. I'm like, yeah, I know. I was like, did you guys catch the little snippet part of me talking to you? No, no, you They're like, nah, fuck it. we don't care about you, dude. Um, so that was like the one interesting part that you, you mentioned. And that definitely touched me for sure. Because that definitely was something that literally I just made a decision about today. And I, I uh, switched that up. Um, and and then kind of something that I think might be helpful here. So I think one of the things that's hard for people to make any of these types of like authentic to them choices, whether it's like initially saying, this is how success looks to me, I'm going to start moving down that path, whether it's putting themselves out there in a new capacity or in a public way, whether it's saying no to something. And we talked about some of these like things, voices in our heads that are telling us like, I'm not good enough. I can't, who am I? Someone else is doing it, whatever. One of the, actually two things that have been really helpful to me in that, that are really easy for everyone to do. One is what I call a hype file. So this is to help me kind of squash those annoying voices in my own head that are going to be there. We all have those limiting beliefs and inner critics. And a hype file is basically anytime someone says something to me in an email, on social media, in a text that is kind and illuminates in some way something positive about me that in some moments I am unable to access for myself, I put it in an Evernote. And when I am feeling shitty, I go back to that Evernote and I read it and I'm like, okay, people see this in me. I don't know why I'm feeling so disjointed with that right now. And it's really helpful. It's like your own personal hype team. Two is this idea I like to call borrowed confidence, which is when you're trying to step into something new that maybe feels outside of your comfort zone that you feel like, "Mm, I'm holding myself back from this. Find the people, not even like physically and literally, but access and tap into the people who already have that confidence in you and borrow it until you believe it for yourself. So for me, this is like a much better version of fake it till you make it because I don't love that one. Right. A great example of this was when I made this decision to step into this like teaching, personal brand, online education space, content creation that felt crowded and hard to really tackle, I started seeing things click into place. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm throwing a virtual conference with 7,000 attendees and Deepak Chopra's headlining it and Adam Grant is headlining it and a former NBA All-Star is headlining it and Jen Sincero, who's a three million book sales, you are a badass author and all these other incredible people. And I was like, whoa, like, how did that even happen? And then shortly after that, I get this email from Deepak and he's like, hey, I want to start a video series with you because you can help translate my esoteric messages for people to make them more relatable. And I was like, what? And in my mind, immediately those sirens started going off of, you've never done something like this. And Deepak was actually the first person you ever interviewed at period. And there's million, billions of people on this planet and why didn't he pick one of them? And is his audience going to like you? And, and then I just stopped and I was like, no, like we can only attract that which someone else sees in us. So like he saw something in me mm-hmm. that I couldn't see in myself. So I felt like 
let me borrow that confidence you have in me until I can own it for myself. And we all can do that because we all have people who see the greatness that we have that we often diminish. Yeah. And man, I see that in a lot of people. You try to share it with people. That's similar to like what just happened to me with American Real, where I was interviewed on the American Real podcast. And then afterwards they reached out and they were like, we want to do something with you, Roger, Dave Meltzer, like this. I'm like, me? (laughs) I was like, you want, you want Dave Meltzer, like this guy, this guy, this guy, and me? I was like, I I don't know, man. I don't know about that. Like, and that's exactly what happens, right? Like you, you, you start doubting yourself. You're like, I'm not that guy. But then I start thinking about, again, you know, the guy who does all the social media for Nike and Adidas and, and, uh, the Golden State Warriors and Rosetta Stone, this guy's this guy endorses me constantly, going, he's great. Todd's awesome. Like he listen to what he's saying, like this, that, and everything else. And I'm going, man, if this guy's saying it, then I must be good. Like, you know, and you just but your but your own self-aware, that's kind of your own self-awareness gets in the way sometimes because you're kind of like, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. And that only really happens when you kind of make a mistake or you catch a loss or or something like that. And that was something that I learned um recently where I really wanted to speak at the seminar and I put, I did everything I was supposed to do and I didn't get it. And I reached out to one of my mentors who's actually speaking at the seminar. And I was like, is there anything you can do to like push them? And right when I sent it, I'm like, dude, why did I say that? And I literally messaged him back and I was like, just ignore that. I was like, I don't even know why I sent that. I was like, dude, that was such a selfish move for me to even ask you to do that. I was like, I shouldn't even have said that to you. And he's like, and he, he messaged me back and he goes, don't ever apologize to me. One. He's like, you're becoming aware that that was an issue. He said, but two, he's like, make a video about what you're feeling right now. Like how you're feeling at this this moment. And I did. And I posted that up. And that just, all that really did was help my transparency. Instead of me rah-rahing everybody else, I really just shared about a minute and a half of like, man, I'm fucking pissed. I'm mad. I'm angry. And I feel like I lost, but I'm going to get there eventually. I just have to like keep working. And, um, that was a really good lesson at 40 years old. 40. Well, honestly, if we're not learning lessons, then we're dying. Like if you're absolutely and you have to be open to those lessons. And it's great that you have people in your life who are willing to call you to the carpet a little bit and be like, this is what you need to do. Yeah. What you need to pay attention to. Yeah. I'm lucky, man. I have a lot of really good people from a mentor standpoint that like you said, saw things in me. Um, and, you know, let me, like, they lend me their time, you know, to do it. And that's something that I've been trying to do for other people too. Right. You know, like when kids are like, there's younger, younger people, obviously than me and they grab me up and like, what should I do? And I'm like, this is what I did when I was your age and it helped me. But it's like when we started the agency, when we started our agency eight years ago, we were broke. I mean, Nikki and I had nothing. We we were broke, broke, like zero. (laughs) Like car repossessed in front of a client broke with kids. Yeah, that's hard. You know, we didn't have a choice. Sometimes you have a choice. We didn't have a choice. It had to succeed. We had to white knuckle. Right. But the story. Yeah, but the story, that story speaks to so many people that go through it. I think that's why people, I think that's why people relate to it so well, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Talk to me about the, the building, uh, you know, building the, the network. Because the network under 40 thing is like a big deal. Like I'm 40 now, so I don't fit into that spectrum anymore. But that's a big deal around here, especially in Baltimore. Yeah. So like I mentioned, the friend who came back from law school and was like, hey, where do I go? I can't find a place. Where yeah. 
racist and people aren't assholes or like all looking down on me because I'm young. And I think this is a moment for me where I realized one, that you really can make a living off of something that you enjoy doing, which for me is connecting people. And that if you pay attention to people's needs, that you can fill a gap in a market and make it profitable and valuable for other people. And so in this case, when I started in Atlanta, we had 94 people show up at the first event and they were like, please do this again. And then it grew and grew. And then about two years in, we got a hit in Inc. Magazine that I had no idea was coming where they had an article that basically was lambasting networking events. And they're like, networking events are awful. However, here's one that's doing it really well. And at the time they're like, it's this little event in Atlanta, Atlanta under 40. And I was like, what? <laughs> and we started getting inquiries from people all over the world saying, hey, can you help me do this? I want to have this where I live. And I was like, this is so easy. So I get on the phone with them, give them advice. And many of them circled back with me and said, it was actually really hard and like we couldn't do it and we failed. So I thought, hmm, like maybe I'm onto something here. So I started systemizing everything and then thought, well, where do I have the second biggest network? And that was Baltimore. So I reached out to some folks, found someone to run it locally and just kind of test it out. Like, can this work somewhere else with someone else running it and found that it did. And then we opened more markets. Now we have a course that teaches other people whether or not they want to do it through our brand. Like maybe they want to do a brand just for people in the tech field or social media or just for moms or, you know, whatever they want to do. And it teaches them the blueprint and it helps them to increase their impact, income and influence along the way. Because one of the coolest things I learned from a, doing the byproduct of throwing networking events is one, it's a side hustle and it pours directly back into your primary work. So if mm -hmm. you're looking for clientele, if you're looking to build your brand, if you're looking to get a message out, you become the focal point of a community that people are really grateful for and they want to help support you as well. And they want to get to know you. So you never have to sell your shit again. Like people are finding out about you in a way that they're seeking you out, which is a really great way to turn the tables Two, it became a six figure side income earning thing for me. And then for many of our event directors. So it becomes this thing that not only is it fun, but it's super profitable. And then lastly, as you're doing it, you're creating such a ripple effect of impact for all the people who come, like where they're creating connections that turn into other things for themselves, whether it's friendships, business collaborations, some hybrid. And all of that is such a cool experience because there's so few places that you can hit on all those things at once. Yeah. And, and like I said, it's, it's a very successful thing here in Baltimore. I know that a lot of people love it. And for, from a standpoint of the way that society works, where we stand very close to this and we get super comfy there and we're like, I don't need to network in, in the real world because I can just network here. And what's funny is if you network in the real world, you'll find that that right there actually is a lot easier to do because you're networking in the real world. You're handshaking. And that's that old school mentality. You know, your, your mom and dad, my mom and dad, the handshakes and going out and taking people out to dinner and things of that nature. It's really the kind of the same thing. You're just grouping people all together. Um, you know, and thanks for making that because I think that's, I think that's something that a lot of the youth in this area um, need uh, is, is somewhere in when they get out of college, it's a place for them to be able to go and maybe meet someone that is like-minded and then they end up getting a job or connected to somebody who can help them get a job and things of that nature. So it's a, a very, very positive thing um, for this city, we're which we're struggling with. A lot, like you're saying that we're getting so attached and comfortable to our online virtual world, which is a great addendum to your physical life. Correct. You are completely eschewing the physical stuff, meaning I'm not getting face-to-face -face with people 
I'm not learning how to have a conversation in person. I don't know how to break the ice. I don't know how to carry on a conversation. I don't know how to make eye contact, have appropriate body language, handshakes, all of that. You are doing yourself a massive disservice. And like the statistics are something like 70% of businesses are cl closed more quickly and better and whatever from face-to-face -face interactions than it is virtually. And all these other like very compelling statistics about why you need to have a real strategy around inhuman stuff. The thing that's going to sound counterintuitive though is it doesn't have to be in a massive event setting. Like we throw massive happy hours. We also throw lunches for 20 people because mm -hmm. you can go one-on-one -on -one if that's your style. You can go in a big group. You can have a group of five or 10 people. It can be 600 people, like whatever works for you, but you have to have a strategy and you have to implement it and get out of your office, get off of your phone. Yeah. And I mean, you're building out that blueprint for them, which makes it a hell of a lot easier. I, I cannot, but I'm surprised. Is there one in Austin yet? No, but there should be. God, I mean, Austin right now, there should definitely be one in Austin. There's no question. I know that we, um, you know, with you, I know exactly how busy you are. So I want to get into um, our uh, two questions, six answers. It's two questions, six answers time. Uh, I know you're going to fly through this. So, and you actually gave, you actually gave more on this podcast than anything, than anyone so far. I think you gave more from a tutorial standpoint and tips and tricks stuff so far back in this podcast that this, I hopefully this is the part that makes it into the blog, but I know there's going to be other stuff that's going to be, have to be drug out. I'm sorry, dude. It's just really good. Um, all right. So the first one, you're good at social media. We already know that. So what are, give me, give me three tips that you use daily from a social media standpoint. It could be an app that you use. It could be whatever. It's very, very aesthetically pleasing to look at your Instagram, but it can also talk about some other social media channels too. Yeah, so my preferred social medias are LinkedIn and Instagram, but I'll talk about Instagram because I feel like that's the hot thing du jour. <laughs> so for Instagram, one is plan ahead. It sounds counterintuitive because people think, oh, it's supposed to be happening in real time. I use stories as real time, but I use my actual feed as pre-planned because what I found is when I didn't do that, then I was having really shitty content. I was just being like, oh, what can I come up with? Instead of every Monday, I have it on my calendar to go into later later app i think it's like later dot app or something i yeah. don't know the later app to like buffer hootsuite where you go and you pre-schedule and you figure out okay what am i trying to say but mo second most importantly is who is your audience who's paying attention who are you trying to attract so and this is honestly tough for me because my audience is very broad it scan spans a lot of age ranges it's both male and female they're mostly american but they're in a lot of different countries and so with that, it's, it's like, well, what is your core message and how are you keeping people in there? And even like you just said about me on this podcast, which I appreciate, for me, it's not just about the, hey, look at me. I use the images almost as like a clickbait, as like, mm -hmm. hey, here's a fun image that you're going to like. And sadly, it's shown statistically that people like images of me or me with other people more than they like random other images. So it's a lot of me, but that's like the Trojan horse to get you to read the message, which has some real meaning to it. And so in there that I'm thinking, well, how do I not only inspire you, but activate you with something that is actionable? And so I'm constantly giving away. And so I think this is the second thing that people misunderstand. They think, well, if I give all my stuff away, I have nothing left to sell. But the truth is the opposite. Mm -hmm. If you give all your stuff away, people want more from you and they're willing to pay for it, even if they've heard you say it before, because people want that connection to you. They want it done with them or for them. So give all your good stuff away. And then I've also found that people really like to connect with you as a human. So whether that means being authentic and vulnerable in what you're posting, not in like a, oh, what was me? I'm like sobbing in my hamburger. 
but like a, this is the hardship that I've been going through and I get it and I've been there and I'm not just on the other side of it, but it's a growth for me too. So people know that you're still relatable or getting on, like you said, your stories and posting a video and just being like, hey, this is what's up today. Like, hope this is helpful for someone, even if it's one person. And being consistent about that. You have to be consistent and even set that expectation. Like I let people know I'm there every day with new content so that they're looking out for it. That was really good. And you, I mean, there's no question. It's that's, that speaks to a lot of people. The, um, the, the second question for three answers, this one's going to be more personal branding at, or digital resume. Like we just, we just made up during the podcast. Okay. Um, yeah, we just made it up. The, the, the reason I want to ask about this one is I have a lot of female uh, followers that are currently in the real estate industry right now. Um, I kind of broke into the real estate industry maybe like two months ago and I have a lot of female followers that are doing a lot of really good stuff um, online. But from a personal branding standpoint, they're always asking questions. Can you give me three good tips for them, especially within that industry? I think like anything, when you're trying to break into a personal brand arena, it's going to feel crowded already. So it's like marketing 101 in the sense of you've got to get really specific and niched before you can go broad. So like when I started growing a personal brand, I wasn't even doing it on purpose, but I was writing for Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, and I was writing exclusively on networking done right. And I started building a following around that specifically. And then as they grew and as I grew, I was able to broaden that and widen the net. So like look at people you admire in that space, like Barbara Corcoran, who started just in real estate, but then became an investor and an entrepreneurial whiz and guru. But that's not where she started. So don't be afraid to niche your message to a specific audience around a specific topic, knowing that it's not going to limit you forever. Was that three? That was one. <laughs> that was one. It's tough, right? Yeah. <laughs> two questions, two questions, six answers. Don't let, don't let the crowd down. Okay. So personal brand, real estate, what else? I mean, I guess another is very similar to what I said in the first place, which is you have to tell the truth and authentic story so that people are connecting to you and not just the message. Like from the beginning of time, humans connect to stories. So tell the stories, share the experience you had. People love behind the scenes stuff and figure out how to make that click and resonate. So then once they're hooked, then you get to kind of give them the whammy of here's the thing that I want you to take away from this. It's like a positive way to goad them in. Number three, personal brand. <laughs> really struggling. I got, I got one that you could actually probably talk on for this one This and, and not to interrupt you. It, they're, they're, they're selling way too much. Oh, yeah. Okay. So they're yeah. selling all I see on their Instagram or their Facebook or their Twitter or their Snapchat or their TikTok or whatever, whatever. It's the picture of the house or it's the video of the house. That's, I'm not even seeing the real estate agent. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that actually. That's so good because this is the same in any type of environment where you're building a relationship online or in person. Show, don't sell. Like, show, you know, it's mm -hmm. so important that you build the trust and the rapport and you get them to see by other people saying you're awesome, by just seeing what you're doing, that they want to know more and they want to work with you. And every once in a while peppering in like, Hey, I have this open house or Hey, I have this house for sale, but that can't be the whole thing because no one likes to be sold, but everyone likes to buy. So make them feel like this is a safe space where they can trust you. They want to see more from you, but that they're not getting hounded by you. Yeah. And so, you know, well, well obviously I'm with that one and that one's really good. Uh, that's the one thing that you really, you should all start focusing on is that reverse 
what you're looking at. Think about what you look at on social media. Apply that to your own social media accounts. You look at things that you like, love, educate, interest, or inform you, not what's selling you. Well, just the bottom line. That is ask questions because yep. there's a weird converse thing where when people want money, ask for advice. And when people want advice, ask for money because people don't want to give you the thing that you're asking for. It makes them uncomfortable. So if you're like, hey, I want people to buy something, ask them a question, like put a poll in your stories or ask it in your caption and say like, hey, do you like ranches better than two stories? Do you like contemporary better than, I don't know, whatever, mid-century modern, like whatever that is and get people integrate, interacting with you and giving that feedback. And then you can kind of go into more depth and more conversations and even take conversations into direct message and be like, oh, tell me more about that. I'm so curious and build the relationship. There are no quick fixes. There are no quick wins to doing that. Whereas the opposite is also true that if you're looking for advice, it's when people say like, oh, go out asking to raise money or something, because then people are like, here's some advice for you. So know that people like put yourself in their shoes. It's like pretty golden. Mm -hmm. You don't want to be sold to, you don't want to be upsold to, you don't want to feel like you're someone's prey. So engage them and build a relationship. Yeah, the answers are there, guys. I mean, you're, you're, you're going against the grain. This is like we were talking about going down the stream. You're trying to go the other way. The answers are already there. You do it every single day. You're just not applying it to your own social media, and that's really what you guys need to do from a personal branding standpoint. Dara, God. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It means so much to me. Where can everybody follow you? You can find me on my website, which is dara.co, D-A-R-R-A-H.co. On there, I have tons of free resources as well as the series with Deepak and myself. So take full advantage. And then on Instagram, like I said, I show up every day at Dara B, D-A-R-R-A-H-B. And I should mention on her Instagram, you guys can access pretty much everything there. So other podcasts that there has been on, she's been a lot of really, really good podcasts. Um, her courses, you can get, you can kind of get access from the courses there and everything else like that. So the, her Instagram is, is chock full of really, really good stuff. So I, I pressure you. <laughs> look at the images, look at the videos, but jump into, jump into that copy and really look at that copy and read through that copy. And I think you're going to find somebody that you're going to really enjoy following. I know I did. Thank you. Well, and if I may just give a, a plug, if I know a lot of your listeners are in Baltimore, we're actually looking for a new event director for Network Underporting Baltimore. So if you're looking to take over a business that's already successful part-time and do all the awesome things that I talked about, hit me up in my DMs. But you've got to be under 40. Yeah. I think Nicole's under 40. She is under 40. We might just... I think we, she's younger than I am. <laughs> you may just close the deal. <laughs> Dara, thanks, babe. I appreciate it. Thanks, Todd. It's been a pleasure. Okay. This has been a Todd Collins official production in conjunction with Platinum Reputations. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Todd Collins Official or visit us at www.toddcollinsofficial.com. Want to be on the show or become a sponsor? Message us on Facebook and tell us why.